Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Fleet Matthews radio show. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world. Uh, Camille uh, DeMaio recently uh, left an award-winning real estate career uh, in San Antonio to become a full-time writer. Her new book, uh, Before the Rain Falls, is a mysterious tale of family faith and a mystical weeping painting. Oh, you got to put this one. You you won't be able to put this one down. That sounds really cool. What's happening, Camille? Uh, It's good to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me about, uh, well, your first book uh, was The Memory of Us. Is that right? Yes. And um, uh, what what made you decide to to leave? You have to really be seriously serious to leave a real estate, award-winning real estate career to move into writing, uh, particularly fiction writing. What was your passion uh, for doing that? You know, I've wanted to be a writer ever since I was 12 years old, and life takes all sorts of turns. We've had four children run our real estate business, and it got to the point where I had to look at those two forks, at that fork in the road, and say, did I dream of being a realtor when I was 12, or did I dream of being a writer? Because it just wasn't possible to do both successfully um, and be a good mom all at the same time. And so I like to do things 100%. So I said, I'm, I'm going to go for what the dream was. And I, I let it all go in order to do that. Fantastic. So so what was your process? This is a really big deal. What is the process that you used to write? So you say you've been, you wanted to write all your life. I assume you were writing during the time you were building your life and, and, and raising your kids. Um, where did you develop your your sense of style and, and what is your what is your writing process? Uh, you know, it begins with just being a voracious reader. I would just read anything I could get my hands on. And I think that formed me as a writer without even realizing that's what I was doing. So when I sat down to start writing a novel, uh, I think my voice came from a lot of the historical fiction that I've read. I like a lot of British historical fiction, uh, and I have had people compare my books to some other things that they've written that were uh, that they've read that were some of my favorite books, and that always makes me really excited. And I so I feel I just absorbed it through being uh, being a reader. It's the best education. Fantastic. So so what is your what is your process? Do you use a computer? Do you do it by hand? Do you you know, transcribe. What what was that process like for that first novel? Um, in, in in terms of of your writing space, do you? I remember having an interview with the late uh, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, and he would write everything with a pen, with a, in a with a pencil and a notepad, and then wow. he would transcribe. <laughs> yeah, and then he would he would take all that, and then he would transcribe it. Everybody has a different process. What was what was yours? I love the feeling of writing with blue ink. I guess blue ink is my thing. So I do my do my notes that way. If I'm out and about and I think of something, I'll do that. I always have a notebook with me. But when it comes down to sitting and actually writing, uh, I do it at my laptop, and that way I can be very mobile. Um, I'll do it on a balcony. I'll do it in front of the river. I'll do it at swim team practice. Um, you know, as 
I'm still, I've still got four kids at home. And so you have to, as a mom, just learn how to be flexible. Um, you know, I think my dream writing was space would be in a, you know, uh, over the ocean or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to, uh, have to uh, work with reality and reality is in between errands and swim team and all of those kinds of things. So uh, have laptop will write. Is, is kind of my style. <laughs> um, I, I am the uh, big morning person in my family, though, so I tend to write in the morning uh, before everybody else gets out, gets up, and, and that, that's a good space for me. So uh, do you write, like, all at once, or how do you develop your characters? Because in this book, I believe Della, Della Lee is the antagonist in the book. Yes. Uh, that you know, they really come to me kind of organically. I have the idea of the story. I know where it's going to start. I have a good idea of where it's going to end. But whatever adventures they might have in the middle uh, are kind of discovered as I go along. Um, there's writers called pansters and then uh, planners. And I'm really not much of a planner. I like getting involved in the story. And some of the things that I'm most proud of writing, some of my best scenes, I feel, have come from either the research that went into the history of the time or just kind of feeling like that's where it had to go as I wrote. And so I do, for the purposes of being under contract with my publisher, have to come up with a, a pretty thorough synopsis uh, in order to submit that to them and get approval. But as I write, sometimes it takes a turn and they've been really supportive about trusting the author to go where they need to go with the story. So I'm discovering it sometimes right along with the reader. <laughs> Do you write the synopsis first, or do you or do you write the book first and then the synopsis, or is it is it organic where you kind of fill in the uh, fill in the blanks along the way? Uh, the first time around, you have to write a whole book to turn into a publisher. They need to know that you can even finish a book. But in everything I've been doing subsequently, I just turned in my third manuscript to them. Uh, you do need to sell it based off of a synopsis. So even before I begin writing the book, I have to start having a really strong idea of what that outline is. So I try to stick with that as much as possible, and I have found it to be helpful. But again, just uh, sometimes as I look into the details of the history, I like to write in a certain time period. Um, those events kind of inform where it's really going to go. So it can take some fun turns. And so, uh, well, your first book, you weren't on the contract. So how long did it take for your first book? And did you, you know, did you write it in a way where you went and, and got an idea and said, oh, I need to get this down. I mean, do you, do you sit down for hours at a time or do you kind of, you know, uh, piecemeal it and keep it in your head and then go back? What, what's that process like for you? The, the first one came, I was just in the mode of thinking, I really, really want to get back to writing. I'd like to write a novel. And I was driving around with all, all four kids in the van one day running errands and the song Elwood Rigby came on the, uh, my iPod. And I love that song. And I started thinking about who are these characters? Who was Simon McKenzie? Who was Eleanor Rigby? They don't really ever say in the song. And so all these ideas started flowing from me. And I sat down to write that story. It took me six weeks for a first draft. I'm not saying it was a good first draft, but it had a beginning, middle, and the end. And I drank a long time for Pepper to stay up real late, and we get that done. Um, but having had no real writing experience, I thought, well, I just wrote a book. I'll send it out to agents, and you just think this process is going to be really easy. So although it took only six weeks to write that first draft, it took about four years to realize that it needed a lot of work to make it better and better, to send it out to agents, you get your rejections, you send it out to new agents, and that, that process took years. So now I'm on about a book a year with my publisher, and, um, and I 
that's writing at that kind of pace is what made me have to really look at what career I wanted to pursue. Is that, it, does it make a lot of pressure under you because you now have to put, produce a book a year and, you know, the first book is like you do it because you obviously love it. You want to get it out. You can kind of take your time with it. But now you're under deadline. So have you refined your process over the years? I have. As I'm writing under deadline now, it really is a completely different experience because as much as you want your head to have all that creative space, there is an element now where you go, wow, this is my job. And so that have to behind it once you've sold it and it's under contract definitely brings a different element into it. Um, but that's why I gave my space, myself the space career-wise to step back and say, I, I want to have that creative opportunity to really love this story and not just do it because I have to. And um, that's really working for me is to say, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to that. Um, so I'm enjoying that, but I ha I'm in between contracts right now and just turned in my third one. I'm under contract for my fourth, which I'll start pretty soon. But in the meantime, I have this other idea and I've just started playing with that in my spare time and really letting my creativity take over in that space because Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about what it is. It's just my opportunity to play, mm -hmm. but it might turn into something. We'll have to see. <laughs> before the rain, uh, before the rain falls, it says in the bio after 70 years in, in, in prison for her sister's murder, Della Lee has returned home to the Texas town of, uh, I guess, Puerto of Bazaar, uh, free of confinement. Mm -hmm. She's ready to tell her secrets before it's too late. Ooh. <laughs> Where where does that kind of creativity come from? Um, how did that how did this story come to you? Uh, there are a lot of things, but this I think the thing that really put this story together is I was watching a documentary, just flipping channels one day, and it was about uh, phenomena and miracles, and people were trying to explain miracles with science and some things they were able to and some things they weren't. And I just found it fascinating. Uh, sitting there, you know, with this writer brain, um, your, your brain can go a lot of directions when things are confronting you. And I started coming up with an image of a portrait of a young girl, and this portrait was supposedly crying in in this image I was creating in my head. So I started asking myself questions. Well, who is the young girl? Why is she crying? And you ask yourself these questions, and you kick in, and you start answering them. So what ended up developing is that this this girl in the portrait had allegedly been murdered by her sister many, many years ago. And so a journalist is in town now to both investigate the, the portrait and then also, yeah. uh, and also find out this woman has just been released after 70 years. So he's ready to hear her side of the story. So these things all converge wow, in this little border town. <laughs> so, so, Give us a little bit more information on, on Della Lee, but also what happens when she meets the journalist, Mick Andrews. Well, she's kind of feisty. She's about 90 years old at this point. She's lived 70 of her years in prison and has half the book is about her story just in prison, which was fascinating to research that era, uh, primarily the 1940s uh, when she goes there and to to research Texas women's prisons in that time period. So she's got a lot to tell him, um, but you definitely find as she's, as she talks to him that things were not all that they seemed back when she was convicted. And now that um, everybody who would have known anything else about it is dead, she, she would like to uh, speak for herself finally after all these years and he's in town anyway. She doesn't have a lot of time left at age 90, so he's just available. Mm. 
and uh, and she's there to, to tell him the truth. And his story is he's coming into this small town after a scandal-ridden career. He's trying to find something to resurrect his career, just this Hail Mary pass. And so by encountering her, this might be the chance to save his career as well. So they kind of save each other. That's kind of awesome. So uh, how much of your work in terms of your own personal story, I mean, you Travel to you know four different continents. You're you're happily married. You, you know I think for 15 years you've been homeschooling your kids. Um, mm-hmm. How much of that is in your work? Is there any like you know thing that we'll read in there and say oh that's that's Camille? What is oh that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how have you yeah, pulled it from your own personal life in, in into these, or is it just tr- strictly uh, uh, something separate? Uh, but is there a part of you that's in your work? I would say it, my writing is informed mostly by my travels. I've been blessed enough to travel to a lot of places in my life, and I'm a very experiential writer. So when I'm in a place, I can just write notes and notes and notes about the place I'm in, the history that I'm learning. Even if I'm not using that for a current book, I know that there's it's just fuel for something in the future. So the bit of me that is in these books, what I, I would say is more about places that I've been. The characters... You know, I you think about writers who have voices in their head. I definitely don't hear voices in my head. But as you write a character, there is something kind of tangible about their personalities that starts to take over. And so the characters are, are rarely modeled on anybody in my real life. Maybe, you know, there's a few shades of influence, but it's mostly mm-hmm. my travels and the sense of place that has come more from my, my life. And being um, a native Texan, fourth generation writing a second, the second book before the rainfall set in Texas was especially great to delve into those kind of things. So uh, Dr. Pepper gets a mention. <laughs> There's a connection <laughs> there. I just uh, would drink a lot of that back then. I've <laughs> been trying to stay up late and write. So. Tell us a little bit about uh, Della's sister, Eula. So Eula, you discovered through the book, and it's not a big spoiler or anything, but without ever naming anything, you can really tell that she's struggling with mental illness. Uh, there were some challenges in how the, how they were raised and how they reacted to that and what she's struggling with with mental illness. And so I touch on it, um, and I've actually had people write reviews and letters to me about how they appreciate the, that I wrote about that. And uh, that's a subject that is near and dear to my heart, just knowing people who struggle with that. Um, so I brought that into it. That's part of Eula's story. And so her sister, Della, um, just wants to be the mother she didn't have, nurture her sister, take care of her, and that's why it really shocks the town when she is accused of actually murdering her. <laughs> and um, and so it goes from there. <laughs> I don't want to give well, away too many I won't get into things, how but... she murders her, but that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, a wild story. Uh, you, you also have Dr. Palma, uh, uh, Dr. Paloma, excuse me, Vega in the, in, mm-hmm. in the story. Talk to us about uh, the good doctor and, 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 and what is their role? Well, just as the journalist is coming uh, to Port Pissarra from Boston to try to resurrect his career, Dr. Paloma Vega is a native of Port Pissarra, uh, but it's a teeny tiny town. She left as soon as she had the opportunity out of high school to go to medical school in New York City. She's got a great job offer in New York. She's fully ensconced in living in that city. But her grandmother and her younger sister are still in town, and she goes back after her grandmother has health issues. And she encounters the journalist, and together they really become interested in this 
um, aged Delaware's story. And so together, she and the journalist uh, try to find that out. But as she does that, she finds some family connections, family secrets, and even begins to look at this small town she escapes with brand new eyes. And so in the end, uh, we learn a lot about place, a lot about family. Um, sometimes it's not where you're at, but who you're with. And that's something that her character comes to discover through her story arc. This is awesome. Um, so when you were writing uh, Before the Rain Falls, how have, you, how have your tools of writing, I guess, evolved? Or have they remained the same? Pretty much laptop, have laptop will travel. But how have you refined your, your, your writing and being able to capture your ideas? I know sometimes people go to sleep and they, uh, they, they, they have this great idea. They wake up in the morning and, they, you know, God forbid, they get started with their day and then it's gone. It's like, or they have a dream and they can't remember it and they want to <laughs> capture it. What, what, do, you, do, you, do you go through that? And what, how, is your, how is your writing uh, tools uh, of capture, I guess, um, been refined over, over the years? The tools have not changed a lot. I've always been good about having notes with me and keeping notes when something inspires me. Um, if I don't do that, then I'll leave my head like a student. <laughs> tell myself well enough. I, have to, I have to write down that inspiration. What did change drastically, though, is I had a developmental editor on Before the Rain Falls who was absolutely phenomenal. And she I turned in this draft that I'd worked so hard in, and she asked me questions in the editing process that just made me dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And how does this character feel about that? And I'd answer all her questions, and it just I had to edit and make it stronger and stronger and stronger, particularly on character development. Uh, she also recommended that I take away four characters that I had, and she would ask me questions like, is this minor character necessary, or is there a major character who can play the same role? And that was very interesting to me. I was smaller mm. manuscript of characters. And that was huge because I found that as I answered that question and said, you know what, this person can actually do the same job. It not only eliminated the clutter, it also strengthened that role of that major character. It gave them yet another dimension to what they were doing in the story. So the way that's changed my writing is as I wrote my third manuscript, which I just turned in, my editor's voice was, that's where I was hearing voices. Her voice was in my head during this writing process. Before I, so before I ever turned it in, I was looking through and going, okay, what is this character feeling? Does every character need to be there? Can somebody else play a role? So uh, we're about to start that editing process on book number three, and I'm curious to see if I tightened that better than I had the first time, the previous time around. Now that I had these questions, it, it, it informed my writing greatly. Here's a question that, that, that I'm sure you are, are, are always asked, and that is, how do you put a character down? How do you know when it's done? I mean, how many drafts did, did before the rain falls did you go through? And then you get so wrapped up in the development of this character, it almost becomes a real person, and uh, and persons plural, people in the in in the books. Um, how do you how do you let them go and say, okay, I, I, I'm done writing, that's it, I'm I'm turning it. Okay, well, wait, let me go back. I got one more thing. Uh, how, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, you'll have to say this. Wait a minute, hold on. So how, how do you let that go, and how many drafts do you go through before you say, okay, I'm ready to turn it in? Is it a solo de decision, or is it a collective decision with you and your editor, or do you even bring in your friends and family 
to to uh, kind of assist you with that process? I would say more deadline driven. The, the deadline is what drives that, and I I've always been good with deadlines. Um, and even within editing, there's about three passes you get, three rounds of that that you go through, and you have certain dates that you're going to follow for that. And so I know I have up until that point to make that character as good as I can make them. And there's no going back after that. So I just edit as many times as I need to up until that deadline point. And I've, I've actually not gone back and read The Memory of Us um, or much of Before the Rain Falls because I think that would be my tendency is to go back and already start to see where I could try to make it better. And so mm. I just have, it's kind of like here's some actors who won't watch themselves on TV. I can identify mm -hmm. with that because I think I'd be really critical of myself. So <laughs> I try to say, okay, get them to bed. They are done. They're out there in the world. And now I'm focusing on the next book. And rinse and repeat. <laughs> So do you bring your family, do you, you know, like as you're writing or do you bring your friends and family into the, uh, into the mix and uh, let them read, you know, parts and pieces of it, or do you keep it completely to yourself? It's mostly kept to myself uh, more because it's a big task to ask people to write your work, especially when it's just in draft form and it's really not as formed of a story as what it will end up being. And several people have told me, um, you know, I really love the, I think I just want to read the final product. I want to pick up that book when it's available and read it for mm -hmm. the first time. Mm -hmm. And they, they love reading the story at the end. And so I try to respect their time and their reading experience too, by not asking them that too much. But one thing that is really helpful is I will bounce ideas off my husband. He doesn't pre-read my writing, but when I'm, I get to just something I'm stuck on, he's a really creative sort, and he won't know the depth of the story, so he might throw out 20 ideas, and I'll tell him 19 reasons why they won't work based on the structure that I know is in my head, but then he'll come mm -hmm. up with one thing, and I go, oh, that, that can work. I can work with that. So it's a little collaborative sometimes when I just get to a point where I'm really stuck. He's, he's a really great one to just bounce, bounce a concept off of. Mm -hmm. Do you get writer's block at all? Oh, yes. Yes, what I think you, that. How do you deal with that? How do you break, <laughs> break from that? It's like, because I can only, especially deadlines, because deadlines sometimes have the way of just shutting you down. They, yeah, it can. And I think the most inspirational quote to me was uh, Thomas Edison, where he said that uh, genius is 1% uh, inspiration, 99% perspiration. And I think that is absolutely true for writers, because what we think of, what we imagine writers to be, or what we imagine our career as a writer to be, is that you sit down and you're inspired and the words flow from you and it's almost romantic. And it's really not. It is hard, hard work, and you have to be very critical of yourself while not being overly critical of yourself. And the fact is, you just have to sit down and do it. You just sit down and do it. And so there's some people who will say, I'm going to sit down for three hours a day and write, or I'm going to write until I reach 1,500 words. Uh, I'm going to write one chapter a week. You know, everybody kind of has to come up with a self-deadline or self-boundary where mm -hmm. you sit down and you might... <laughs> five words or something, but you say, this is, this is the goal for today. So most of the time, I'd say I deal with writer's block much more often than not. But you just, what do you, you just do What it. do you do to break, what is, so what is your process to break it? How do you, how do you get out? Usually reading. Reading is just, it 
just energizes my brain. Um, so I'll try to read something that is of the same genre of what I'm writing. If I'm really, really stuck and can't get out of it, I'll go read a few novels that are historical fiction, something set in that time period. And it just connects the pieces of the brain, I think, again, that gets me thinking back into my story. And that, that probably does the trick better than anything else. Fantastic. Well, the book, ladies and gentlemen, is Before the Rain Falls, Camille DeMaio. This is her, this is your second uh, uh, work, is that right? Yes, the second published one, and the third will be out in April, and I'm starting on number four. Oh, my goodness. You have created a career. Finally, it's launched. <laughs> Finally. This is yes. fantastic. Uh, much luck to you and success to you on, on, on your writing journey. I, it, I know it just gets better uh, with time. You, know, you probably are one of those persons that never runs you. Well, you'll never run out of stories because you do, you, you do so much reading. How much, how do you balance between the reading and the writing? How much do you read in a day? Uh, I try do you to read like a lot more right than now. one book at a time, or do you just take one and say, I'm going to knock this one out and how, you know, how, how do you go about that? Oh, I've got a nightstand book, a purse book, a car book, a bathtub book. There's always a book going on in there. But in general, uh, my goal this year is to read one book a week um, from January through December and reach 52. But I'm already at 42, and it's only two. Wow. So I'm, I'm hitting that by about double right now. So I'm reading a lot. Crazy. That's insane. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, Camille, um, wishing you the best of luck on this book. Before the rain falls, ladies and gentlemen, of course, on Amazon. Uh, thank you for being with me. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. All right, Camille, take care. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.